This episode of the Alley on the Run show is brought to you by Aftershocks. Welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I'm your host, Allie Feller, and every week I talk with inspiring people who lead interesting lives on the run and beyond. And while running is what brings us all together on these episodes, we cover so much more than that. So join me right here every Thursday to learn about the decisions people have made to get where they are today and how getting sweaty has factored in. I could not be more excited to kick off 2020 with this episode because for two years, I have been trying to get Aisha Pratt Lear on the show. Two years, and we finally made it happen. Aisha is an absolute powerhouse on the track. She set national records in the 5,000 meters. She competed in the steeplechase at the 2016 Olympics. Last year, she won gold in the 3,000 meter steeplechase at the Commonwealth Games. She is a fierce competitor and a dynamite human. And as much as I love talking about her hard-earned wins and her progression as a professional athlete, we got into so much more on this episode, as we always do, right? Now, I'm recording this intro the day after I talked with Aisha, and there are a few bits of our conversation that are still really fresh on my mind. One of them, Aisha talking about her decision to race for and represent Jamaica. I love that part of the conversation. I loved hearing her talk about her dedication and passion for giving back and helping inspire the next generation of runners. And oh my gosh, I loved her talking about her competitiveness. Oh, you're going to love that part. And of course, she shared some funny stories about what it's really like being married to fellow professional athlete, Will Lear. You're going to love this one. I love this one. So without any further ado, please welcome Aisha Pratt-Lear to the Alley on the Run show. I am so excited to be sitting down today with Aisha Pratt-Lear. Aisha, welcome to the Alley on the Run show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. All right. We start every episode of the Alley on the Run show by just putting you right on the spot and having you warm up everyone, just like you would warm up for any good run or race, right? So tell everyone who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Amazing. We're getting into it. <laughs> I am Aisha Prattlier, as you just said. I am a dual citizen, Jamaican-American, middle distance runner from Moline, Illinois, the corporate home of John Deere Tractors. I currently live in Boulder, Colorado, and I am super focused this year training for the Olympic Games. Very exciting. So do you have a John Deere tractor? I feel like you need to have one. Oh, my gosh. I don't have a yard in Boulder. Let's be real. So uh, no tractors yet in my life, but hopefully yet. in the future. I like that that's open-ended. <laughs> yeah, I saw the big little farm or whatever that uh, movie is that little short film. It's great. You know, I might have a farm. Who knows? All right, cool. Something to strive for maybe after the Olympics. That can be the next, uh, the next dream (laughs) and, and celebrating happy belated birthday. Thank you. Yes. Big 30th birthday was Saturday and turns out nothing changed. And my husband still likes me now that I'm 30. So we're good. How old is he? He's 34. Oh, wow. He's, he's mid thirties. Yeah. Oh, don't tell him that. Well, I'm 34 too. So I'm also mid mid 30s. So that's that's fair. Yeah. 30s are great. So, I mean, I guess the one thing that is different is if you run like a local race, you'd be up in age group. You know, that doesn't really matter at the level that you're competing at. But if you ever want to just run like a, a local race, you could like, you'd win the whole race, but you could also win your age group. 
I mean, that's amazing. Pretty but exciting. remember Boulder, Colorado. True. Other 30-year-old in this town would be Jenny Simpson. Uh, you know, so it's a it's a stacked situation. But yes, that is that can give me some solace, maybe in other towns. <laughs> in other towns. Well, listen, anytime you want to come to where my parents are from, where I grew up, come to Kentucky, New Hampshire. You'll just crush it. Amazing. All right. So I like to ask people because I'm fascinated by elite runners, runners of all levels, but especially with professional runners who have chosen to pursue this as a career. Why do you do what you do? Is it just talent? Is it passion? Is it both? Why do you do what you do? That's a great question. And it's one that I don't often think about because in my mind, there's all there's almost no other option. I'm good at it, I guess, uh, would be part of the reason. And second reason would be that I am so competitive. Um, by nature, I think most people would describe me as kind and um, warm, but I have this other part of my personality that I, I just am insatiably competitive. And there have been sort of benchmarks in my career that I thought when I, you know, when I graduated from college, I'll run through 20, uh, 2016. And then I went through that and then I thought, okay, I'll run through 2021. And now I'm thinking, no, I want to run as long as I can at the highest level that I possibly can. So it's almost like, uh, there is no other option in my mind. Like I haven't lost the drive and the love for it. So I'm just going to kind of keep rolling with it. And it's also an incredible job. It's hard to say that it's a job. Um, it's grueling for sure. Um, it's not normal what we do, but I don't know of any other career that I could have embarked on that would have taken me to every corner of the world. Um, and I've met so many amazing people. So it's there's also that immense perk and privilege that I get that I just, I'm not ready to, to do something else. I don't really know what else would replicate it unless I was like a war journalist or something. Um, but it's, it's truly amazing. So I'm doing it. I like that you went from professional runner to war journalist. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I, the places that we go and the intensity uh, with which our lives take place. It's, I don't know, it's got to be, it's got to be a parallel we can draw there. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember, have you always known that being a professional runner was an option or was there a moment when that either clicked for you or someone suggested it? How did that come to be a possibility and a reality for you? Had no idea that professional running was really a thing. Um, I kind of came out as a surprise um, top NCAA athlete only my senior year. And it was really, um, I was a very close second place in the indoor mile at NCAAs in 2012. Um, and I remember I would go into my college coach's office often and just, you know, say what's up and see what was going on. Um, but I went to a mid-major school, Illinois State University, and we weren't pumping out pros very often. And I remember my uh, my coach called me in and said, you know, we need to talk. And he asked if I'd heard of the OTC. And I hadn't. Um, and he's referring to the Oregon Track Club Elite, which is a, a training group out in Eugene. And I thought I was in trouble. Like, I didn't know 
what I, I'm such a rule abider, so I don't know what I could have done wrong. But I, in that moment, was like, oh shit, I'm sorry, I, cur- I cursed. I don't know if that's allowed. You're allowed. Um, what, okay. <laughs> um, what have, like, what's the OTC? You know, like, you know, did I, what have I done? Did I say a curse word on television or something that I would probably do? Um, and then he explained it to me. So I had a lot of, um, I needed to be educated a lot about the, um, world of pro running. And so from, it was really, um, a couple month process of me totally shirking responsibility and saying like, I, I can't handle, um, finding a professional coach and an agent. Like, I'm just going to wait until I finish my, my studies. Um, I studied geology in college and my last semester was really tough with a lot of labs and I just couldn't even put my mind in that place. So I just thought like, eh, I'll be with it later. We'll figure it out. But as soon as the later hit, there were so many, I didn't, you know, I didn't have a direct mentor to turn to. I didn't even know who the pros were. Um, so I, w- I really had a lot of learning and growing up to do. Um, so it all just kind of happened really quickly. And um, I ended up racing in Europe that summer and then moving to Eugene in September um, it was it was a big shock for me. You know, I think a lot of people, myself included, would be surprised to hear that when you're saying that you didn't know any pro runners and that you didn't really have anyone mentoring you. Because now I look at you and where you're at in your career and see you training alongside these amazing women with with Emma and with Corey. And I look at you as one of those people who like is at that level to be, you know, mentoring others and knows knows the deal and knows what it's all about. So what got you, you know, how did you really learn the ropes? Did you eventually get an agent? How'd that work out? Yeah. So I got an agent, um, right at NCAAs. I signed with, uh, total sports, Chris Lane and Stephen Haas. And, um, I was actually, um, I think it's really sweet that this summer, my agent, Steven, he's also a good friend. So to say agent Steven seems like, uh, I don't know, like go, go agent, Steven, I don't know. It uh, seems strange. But uh, he, he was just reflecting on his first reclu- recruiting class of athletes and um, how proud he was of the class because it was me, Hassan Mead, Ben Blankenship. And, you know, athletes that have gone on to do really great things. And it's it's funny because I don't – I know that I have I, – on paper, um, you know, if you write down my stats, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, pretty good runner – but I don't really, it takes me a minute to catch up and remember that I am of that company. It's not something that I think of um, immediately, uh, which is just like kind of my nature. But um, yeah, I mean, what happened was I went to Oregon Track Club and um, was so far behind. I uh, was a really good racer. But I ha- wasn't as physically developed into the athlete that I was walking into the, the arena with. Uh, so it took a couple of years for me to get stronger. I remember just calling my mom crying the first couple of months that I was there, just getting my ass kicked by Bridget Franick and Julia Lucas. And I couldn't even hold on to the back of Sally Kipiego to save my life. And uh, a woman really sort of took me under her wing. Her name is Gemma Simpson and she is, um, uh, she's retired now, but she was an 800 meter runner for Great Britain. And, uh, she really showed me the ropes. And my first year I lived with uh, a bunch of guys 
And Hassan Mead was another one who really helped me. He'd just been training and racing at uh, such a high level. I think he competed in the uh, U.S. Olympic trials his freshman year of college. So he'd been around the block and knew what was going on. And um, it was it was really hard for me to relax and shut my brain off. And every day he'd watch Sports Center from the minute he woke up. He'd go training and then watch it all day. And I just like didn't it didn't click with me. Like you've heard these things six times already. Why are we still laying on the couch watching TV? But like, that's part of the process. So it took me, um, really, I, I ended up getting hurt in January of my first professional year. And it just took me a while to realize what it actually took. And a lot of trial and error of following around and getting, you know, dragged through so many workouts for me to realize that, okay, like this is a job. It is a 24 hour a day. You know, there's no more class. There's no more, um, you know, you don't get that many opportunities. So, uh, it just took, it took me a while to get my feet under me. Um, and now I think it's great. Like with social media being such, uh, an accessibility tool, I think I got Instagram toward the end of my outdoor track season my senior year of college so I I wasn't really something that we saw all the time like you know I uh, help out at a a local high school here and all of the kids know what's going on because they see people on Instagram they have a float track or miles float like they know they're just more connected Um, and I think I could have really benefited from uh, that connectivity sort of in college to guide me through pro world. But it was really just like the help of the women around me and the men too, of just like, Hey, this is what, it, this is what it takes. Follow the leader. Um, and that helped a ton. So did you eventually, was it a matter of getting mentally stronger and being okay, getting dropped in workouts? Or was it that you were getting faster and you weren't getting dropped? What kind of helped with that shift the most? I think it was a combo platter. Like I a combo platter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I I definitely got better. Um, I was physically just not like I. I'm trying to describe how I came in in a way that like makes sense, other than like me thinking that I was really just kind of like a stick figure that like didn't have muscle to back myself up. Um, and I didn't have like the heart and lungs to back myself up. And so it took like a lot of gym work and a lot of training to physically be capable. And then it was really just accepting, like, you know, something that I'm so glad is being talked about. Um, now is just this idea of imposter syndrome. And I really felt like there had been a mistake that I shouldn't have been given this opportunity that I'm not good enough to be here. And that, you know, I'm not sure that anything is going to come of this. Like I have this opportunity, but like, I feel like I don't deserve it. And it took me uh, working on that and moving away from that idea and toward, well, are you, you have the chance, you might as well do something about it. Um, and just like leaning into, um, what it took instead of being afraid of, um, 
a failing at it, if that makes sense. Um, so it was, it was a little bit of both of like, I had a lot of work to do. And I mean, I sometimes think like I still do as we all do. Um, I still have things that I can work on physically. Um, but I think the mental component was also huge. Is the imposter syndrome totally gone now or does that ever creep in? Is it ever totally gone? I don't know. (laughs) No, I mean, it definitely creeps in. It's, uh, it's, it's tough. You know, I, I look at, um, it's a funny thing that we sometimes bring up of, uh, women who were so much better than me or other people on the team. It's like, in the NCAA, there are people who are just like, you, you think you line up next to them and there's no, uh, you know, you give it everything, but you just can recognize that there are athletes that are stronger. And some of those athletes have since retired. And for whatever reason, I'm still here getting better every year. Um, and it's just so peculiar and curious. And um, I think, you know, it's, it's helped me a ton to work with a sports psychologist. I started seeing um, a woman in Eugene. Her name is Melissa Todd. Um, And uh, that was like November of 2015. And she's become, uh, I mean, immediately way more than just sport, but just sort of like holistically as a person um, standing up and taking my, taking up the space that I sit or have created for myself um, and leaning into that, into the moments of like, this is who I am. I'm, I'm going to be me unapologetically. And I know that I've worked hard. I've, you know, put in the hard yards um, to be where I am and to achieve what I, what I've earned. Um, But yeah, I mean, it still is hard. Like there still are, especially for me transitioning from steeplechase to 1500, I've run some, you know, crack in 1500s when I'm just training for steeple, but um, choosing to leap into uh, an event that has crazy depth in the world right now um, and believing that that's the right choice for me, even though I know it is, you know, in, in the quiet moments, in the hard moments where you look at yourself and say, like, shit, do I belong here? Like, the answer I just have to tell myself is yes. And the more you tell yourself, the more you believe it. But, yeah, it's, I think it's definitely definitely thing and it's it's comforting to know that I mean for me I know of a lot of other very um, very good women in the world who uh, who deal with the same thing um, across many platforms and uh, yeah it's so if that's something that you deal with you're not alone Um, but yeah always working always improving on it when you're showing up for these races and you're on the start line, how well do you know your competition? Are you focused on yourself or do you know everyone's PRs, everyone's background, what everyone, you know, when so-and-so is most likely to make a move? How much do you know about them? How much are you focused on yourself? Where's your head at? Um, good question. It's it's tough. I am not a numbers person. Um, and so that's been a, a difficult thing for me getting better and better is I'm not very confident with split knowledge. If you, if we were to go on a run and we are running and you're asking me to do simple math in my mind, I cannot do it. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at math, but just not while I'm moving. Um, so that gets a little difficult. So I don't really focus on people's PRs. I generally, um, I generally know people's strategy. Um, or at least I, my coach at Boss Hard is such 
uh, a statistician when it comes to uh, racing. He really knows how that works. And for me, I'm so focused on myself and what fires me up is having like a really concrete list of things that I am going to do that this is my plan. And no matter who anyone else is, everybody is just a body. And I'm going to move through the field in such a way that from, you know, I usually break it down into three parts from the first part to the second part to the third part, I have my sort of one word cue as to how like my process moving through the race. And uh, Joe and I have worked really well together over the last couple of years. He knows that. He knows that, like, I really don't know splits. I don't really even know my PRs to the 10th, uh, which some people might think is unprofessional, but it's just not what fires me up. Uh, Pure competition makes me more excited. So we've done a lot of stuff like um, he'll send me a video of, I remember um, I watched... Brenda Martinez race one indoor meet um, a couple years ago and the strategy that she employed, I, I like learn from tape basically. Um, so that that's kind of the way I work is my process um, visually learning how people do it and then creating my own visual path of how to go. I think I read somewhere that you don't keep a training log at all. Do you? No, I don't. Um, Sometimes there, there's like maybe once a year that I wish I kept a training log. Um, And it's, you know, in the moments where you're maybe a week out from a big race and you could use a little bit of validation of the work that you've done. But that happens about once a year. But I cannot imagine keeping a training log because as I've alluded to before, I'm super competitive And if I had all the data in front of me, I think it would really stress me out. And I think I would train too hard um, because I would just be trying to beat my previous self. And that's not usually productive for people. So sometimes I got to just take a little chill pill and be comfortable with the fact that I know Joe has my training, but I don't. Um, Sometimes it's been difficult when I was... uh, Moving from Eugene to Boulder, Joe had asked me like, hey, you know, uh, do you have a training log? What was your training (laughs) like? What sort of things are you good at? And I was just like dumbfounded. Like, well, sometimes we did this work that was kind of like this. And then we do something that was like this. But like, maybe I ran between this and that. Like, I really couldn't repeat it back. And even when people ask me about our training now, I'm like, well, you know, we do some long stuff and some short stuff and some medium, you know, we just do all the stuff and the, and we also lift heavy, like that's it. So that's really, I'm just kind of like, tell I show up on the day, tell me what I'm doing and I'll do it. But that's the extent of it. I love it. And it's so funny because I feel like people always talk about the pros and people are like, you know, why are the pros so secretive about their training? Like, especially with the marathoners, they this comes up a lot where they're like, oh, you know, they're not on Strava. Like we don't know their training with you. It's like, well, I don't know it either. So (laughs) exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, you know, if Joe was secretive about his training, which he's not the secretive, uh, he knows that the secrets would be safe with me because I just don't know the answers. (laughs) I love it. So this competitive nature, is it just on the run or are there other things in life that you're competitive about? Oh my gosh. I am the worst. Can we phone I, Will yeah. in for this part of the conversation? Oh I would love to hear his take. Yeah, he just doesn't even know what to do with me sometimes. So it really came out, uh, I think it was the last spring, 
um, we played charades in Crested Butte. And I just like, I can't, I can't lose. Like I just play hard and it's board games. It's I'm like, I didn't grow up playing sports that involved a ball, but if we're shooting hoops or anything, it's just like, I have, I'm just get so intense. Like it's like almost like an alter ego sort of situation. And I have no chill. For instance, we're going for a friend's birthday to play this like archery dodgeball game tomorrow and emma has already given me a pep talk uh, or like a deep pep talk of like all right aish just you're gonna have to take a couple of deep breaths like i don't want you to play too hard tomorrow (laughs) it's like i need the opposite of like a pump up like i need a cool down talk because i just play hard at everything it's like a disease i swear so did her talk work or are you like ready to throw down tomorrow i mean like i have i just don't want to hurt myself but I've had to like do a lot of self-talk of like, okay, you know, just be cool. Aish, just be cool. Um, so we'll see, you know, I'm, I hope I don't, uh, endanger anyone. That's no, really my- <laughs> I hope not. I think that's a good goal to have, like be yeah. a little competitive, but don't shoot the yeah. arrow at someone or whatever you, you know, yeah. archery dodgeball. I've never even heard of that, but please try to capture some video. I think that would be great. Oh, yeah. We're going to need some video for sure. That's a great idea. Perfect. Okay. So you mentioned working with the sports psychologist and I've actually never, I've interviewed a lot of sports psychologists. I've never worked with one for my own benefit. Can you talk a little bit about what that's like? You know, how does it compare to like, I've been to therapy, for example, and it's like, you either go regularly, or you call your therapist when something's going on, and you go in and you meet. How does working with a sports psychologist compare in your experience? And what does that look like for you? Um, I think it's probably really similar in my case to normal therapy, I would say so we meet twice a month on Um, like a web platform because she's in Eugene and I'm in Boulder and we do spend quite a bit of time just talking about my uh, general life, which is I think important because stress is stress and your body can't decipher uh, where the stress is coming from. Is it physical? Is it emotional? We're not sure. Uh, So during the fall winter, it's a lot of just talking about, my life, what's going on week to week, what are the challenges I'm facing? And then a lot of the time in the fall, it's like, man, I'm not sure I'm ever going to be good again. You know, (laughs) it's like you take two weeks off from running and then all of a sudden everything just like doesn't work anymore. But, um, so, you know, we talk about that and then we start moving into the season and I mean, we have dissected my race plan. I've been able to talk about exactly Um, you know, what I'm going to be thinking, how I'm going to be um, visualizing what helps me mentally going into a race. And I, it's also a place where I can dispel a lot of my uh, fears and just kind of get it out. And uh, in a space that's like totally not judgmental and safe for me to um, just get the negative out and then start focusing like we over the years have really worked on just having process goals all the time and I run into trouble when I start thinking about the outcome um and so we just pull me away from that 
and work toward what what we know works. But I mean, it's the times that we have talked and it's been just like totally instrumental. I can think of one time in particular, I was at the Olympic Games and I, uh, in the prelim, a another runner had stopped uh, dead in lane one to fix her shoe. And um, we were right, myself and uh, one or two other women were right behind her and we just collided and all hit the track so hard and it completely ruined our pattern and um, our chances, but I got up and I ran as hard as I possibly could have. Um, my federation petitioned and I made it through to the final. And it was like, it had rocked my world because it was, that's not in the plan. You don't plan for situations like that. But one of the first things I did when I got back to the village was get on the phone with Melissa and talk about it and talk it through and, you know, make rules for myself, like no getting on social media, no no going there um, in my mind to take up the imposter syndrome uh, storyline that I would want to have felt for myself. And um, so it's like in those moments of athletic crisis, having someone who has been working with you for so long, is just totally instrumental for me. Um, and it also helped. She was a former uh, professional marathoner herself. So she knows, you know, I can tell her a workout and tell her splits and rest and we can actually talk through it in, in real language. And I think it's so helpful to me um, to have that relationship. I love that. So talk about, you know, we've talked a little bit, we've talked about you being in Eugene, and we've obviously talked about Colorado, and we've dropped the name Joe Bossart a couple times. I'd love to hear more about that decision to to leave yeah. Oregon and to join the the Bossard crew. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. I just thought of this. I now twice in my life have uh, left a very comfortable situation to uh, do something that a lot of people might question. Uh, the one that I, the newest one is me not running the steeplechase anymore and running the 1500. Um, but my first was leaving Eugene and the OTC and going to uh, train with Emma and be coached by Joe. Um, it was a tough call. Um, Will and I were getting pretty itchy in Eugene. Um, we were looking for a little bit of a lifestyle change. And um, I really thought, when I was graduating college, as I said, that I would retire after 2016. And um, being at the Olympic Games changed that, like did a complete 180 for me. It could have gone either way. I could have been like, you know what, this is great, great experience, ready to walk away and start uh, you know, a new phase of my life. But uh, in the moment, I just was like filled with fuel and fire of actually what I'd really like is to be super good at this, not just like pretty good. Um, so we, I was on a run with my husband, Will, and we were just kind of talking about like, well, what next, you know, what do we do? And, um, I sat down with Mark Rowland and we tried to talk about what would make sense. And ultimately we had, we had a really amicable goodbye and, 
um, I had made a list of the best people chasers in the world. And I was really looking for a training partner. I was really looking again to, to put myself in a really vulnerable position of needing to learn. And uh, I wanted to learn from someone, a direct peer who was completely excellent. And, you know, Emma came to mind, obviously, uh, one of the best now, greatest of all time uh, in the event. And um, it just so happened that she was also leaving her coach at the same time. And um, I am really good at going with my gut. And I think my gut, uh, my gut decisions have been really successful. And I spoke with Emma. She asked if I would consider speaking with Joe. I did. And it was just, I immediately thought like this guy knows what he's talking about. He was able to, in our first phone call, point out that in my second, you know, I, I tend to go out hard for 2k and I can't hold it. And you know, these are the things that he thinks that we could work on and that they believe in and to get to have that immediate feedback of like, Hey, this is an, I see you as an athlete. You've run a fast 1500. You can hold on for 2k, but I think we can make these changes and you could be really, really good at this. And I was like, all right, I'm in. And, uh, I came out to visit he was just so professional. They completely believed in what they were doing. It was contagious. Emma is excellent at everything. She's just the consummate professional. And I could see immediately how I could improve um, in this really special um, situation. And uh, Will came, we came out again together in January and we just thought like, hey, people are going to think we are crazy, but I believe in this and he believed in it. Joe and Emma believed in it. And, uh, it has been amazing. Um, so I'm just so lucky that the timing was right. And we were both looking for a change and, um, we both found each other because I think that we helped each other a lot being in a athlete, husband, wife, coach situation, um, I think could be difficult, but Joe and Emma handled it so well. And I think bringing, um, another athlete into their life, like defined the practice times and made the transition easier for Emma to start doing different workouts, but Hey, I'm there. And if I can do it, she can do it. And it, and I thought, you know, if Emma can do it, I better freaking hold on because I want to be as good as her. So uh, it just like worked so well. And I think we both um, share something that it, I think is unique, especially in the world of women's running of just a pure um, desire to see the other person succeed and that Emma's success only adds to my success and my success only adds to Emma's success. It's neither of us ever feel that pull of like, um, you know, if, if Emma is doing something great and I'm not, then that, that's a knock on me. That's just like, that's not how we operate. And I think that's been very special and has helped sort of grow what we've got going on. 
So when you did make the move out there, and so you get settled, you're in Colorado, were there any early moments of doubt? Like, what have we done? Or did it right away feel like the right decision? Oh, no, right away, it felt like the right decision. Um, It was like, awesome from the start. I mean, again, like, here I am, getting my butt kicked for two months until I could hang. And uh, it was just what I needed, you know, like I needed that challenge. I needed to be thrown to the wolves and, uh, and grow again. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult when things are really comfortable. You can either sink into that comfort and stay in your safe place and not take a risk or, um, you know, you can step out of it and, and really thrive. And I was really needing to step out of it. You know, uh, it, it was immediate of, wow, I really have some work to do. And here I am doing the work. And yes, this is a scary decision, but we have made the decision. You know, it was like, it was easier for me the second time around. First time around in Eugene, I was like, man, I don't belong here. This is too much. And then the second time is like, no, I belong here because I need to I need to go through this galvanizing process if I want to be the runner that I proclaim that I want to be. So it was just immediate of like, all right, here we go. Head down. Let's go. And what about the friendship side of things? I think that any of us who follow both of you, especially, it's like the coolest runner friendship of all time. And we all want the Aisha to our Emma, right? Or the Emma to our Aisha. Did the the friendship side of things, was it a slow build or was that pretty immediate? It's really incredible. Like I, Emma and I had, um, of course, we were friendly on the circuit. Um, I paced her a couple of times, but like I wouldn't, like we didn't text, you know, like we weren't like, you know, good best friends, but like we were super friendly to each other. And it was like kind of shocking how quickly and how well we became super simpatico. Like it's, it's awesome. We are, we both have very different characteristics, um, but we get along really well. I mean, we have spent eternities in some people's minds together and it's, it's awesome. Like it doesn't, it doesn't ever grind on me. It's, it's really special to, uh, have a friend that you, like, I just love her so much. You know, she's just the best. And, um, we, we laugh, uh, you know, I, you get in my car and I'm playing NPR and we get in Emma's car and it's like Taylor Swift from the get go. (laughs) And like, you know, we just have these subtle differences, but, um, it's, it's awesome. And we always have something to talk about. And we have just like a really special little jewel that I always uh, want to protect. And, and it's been a really nice surprise. It's rare that you um, gel so well with a training partner. Well, and it really sets an amazing example, I think, for all of us, no matter the level we're at, no matter what sport we're doing, but to see two women who are both so competitive at the top of their field, supporting each other and working together to achieve these dreams and cheering the other on. It's really wonderful. And again, I think that goes back to social media too, that we get a little peek at that. And we get to see when, you know, when you win something huge and Emma's the first one to cheer you on. It's just, um, I 
the world needs more of that right now. Let's be honest. Like there's, yeah. you know, we can always use more of the kindness and enthusiasm and support for each other. So I really applaud both of you for being such cheerleaders for each other. Yeah, it's, it's, it's special. And I think like the world is a hard enough, toxic enough place as it is. Like it's tough for women out there. We all know it. So why battle each other when we can unify like there's enough negativity and enough hurdles to jump over. Like let's just strengthen each other. Like I just don't, it's just not my game to be a mean girl. So um, yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Everybody should do it. Get a friend. (laughs) Get a friend. (laughs) I love it. And if you don't have one, hit either one of us up. We'll be your friends. Yeah. I always want more friends. For sure. It's that time in the episode when we take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Aftershocks. Hey, Happy New Year. I am thrilled to be kicking off a new year with the same great sponsor we all know and love here on the Alley on the Run show. That, of course, is Aftershocks. If you have big running goals for this new year, now is the time to invest in a great training buddy. Invest in a pair of Aftershocks wireless headphones. They're the best running headphones. They're comfortable. They're lightweight. They rest on top of your ears instead of inside them. The sound quality is excellent. Plus, the all-new Aeropex model features an eight-hour battery life. And they're weather-resistant. All good, great, wonderful things. So start the year off treating yourself to a pair of headphones, okay? You deserve it. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com to get $50 off your Aeropex Endurance Bundle. That includes these amazing headphones plus loads of other runner goodies. Again, that's ontherun.aftershocks.com to get $50 off. Now let's get back to the indomitable Aisha Prottlier. Colorado, training with Joe and with Emma. That was crazy decision number one. Crazy mm-hmm. decision number two, which I don't think is crazy. I think it's amazing. But deciding to, you know, say goodbye to the steeple for a little bit and and go all in on the 1500. Where'd that decision come from? And how are you feeling about it? I, I feel great about it, which is uh, maybe surprising because I kind of, didn't have a great world championship. I um, didn't make it out of the prelim by like a hair. Um, and that was not the plan. But I really have enjoyed the last year of training more than any year in my career. Um, we before any indoor races this year, Joe and I had coffee. And it was he was really nervous to talk to me about something. And I couldn't for the life of me, guess what it was, but it was him wondering if I wanted to move down to the 15. I've always said in my career, like, I love the mile and I loved it in high school. I loved it in college. It's always been my first love. And I always said that as I age, I would move down, which most people move up as I age. But I had thought that after 2021, I, Joe and I talked about this before I even joined the group. After 2021, I want to move down to 1500. Um, I just love it. I love it. It's intense. It's, it's rough. It's physical. It's uh, explosive. And it happens so fast. And tactics are a thing. And it's just like a major hype. And I walk into this meeting at a coffee shop 
Joe's all nervous. What's the deal? Do you want to move down early? And we talked about just a couple of things that had happened the year before. One uh, being running 404 indoor, not really even thinking about it. I was all focused on Commonwealth Games. Um, and the women in the field that I raced against were some of the best uh, 1500 meters in the world. I could compete alongside them. Uh, that was pretty cool. And then went to World Indoors um, and was sixth in like a crazy awesome field. I mean, it was Debaba, Laura Muir, Sifan Hassan, Shelby Houlihan, Winnie Chibet, and then I was sixth. And you're like, well, that's pretty cool. Um, so maybe we have something here. And um, I think also having Kayla Edwards on the team and bringing Corey into the team um, we're moving differently and I'm able to be challenged by women with other skills and the way that my body moves when I'm running 1500 pace, like looks a lot more comfortable than when I'm running, trying to run 72s, which is steeple pace, you know, goal, goal, steeple pace. And I just said, yeah, like it immediately fired up. Like this sounds awesome. Let's do it. Um, and then I proceeded to have the like healthiest I felt um, good most days. You know, I when you're running the steeple, it's a lot of impact, and my um, sort of ankle joints and uh, feet joints. I don't have you. Yeah, you have joints in your feet. Your bone, my feet bones. Um, I'm not a physiologist over here. <laughs> Help. Um. <laughs> Like I would get out of bed sometimes and just be hobbling around or after a steeple race, it would take me a week until I felt good again. Um, even though my body's really strong, it's just like these small, uh, things are just really starting to wear on me. And you know, when you go for a run and you don't feel great, it's not that fun. And I just felt awesome. And I had so much fun in training, doing something totally new and, I'm going to keep doing it. And I think realizing that I want to run for as long as I can, moving to the 1500 is a more long-term vision. Like I think uh, my body will be healthier. I feel stronger. I feel more powerful. I'm more excited to race. And it's really reinvigorated me. So I'm going to keep doing it. But, you know, it's, one of the craziest times in history for the women's 1500 as it is for the women's steeple um so i'm going from an event that is comfortable and i know how to race it and i know how to be very good at it um to going to the 1500 where it's like i gotta learn a completely new game and it's really really fun um and i'm grateful that I have a lot of people backing me up and supporting the decision. You know, my, my sponsor Under Armour is on board, Team Jamaica is on board, our whole training group's on board and it's, it's fun. I'm pretty stoked about it. So the year that everyone's talking about right now is 2020. Of course, it's an Olympic yeah. year. So everyone's talking 2020, but you multiple times have said 2021. Why 2021 in terms of when you were originally talking about some of your plans about when you said you were going to retire after 2016, no, not till 2021. Why 2021? 
Um, because so you have the Olympics in 2020, you've got Worlds in 2021, and then the next year is the Commonwealth Games year. So there, that's the global championship that uh, Jamaica takes part in, but the U.S. does not. Um, and it, Commonwealth Games is really awesome. No knock on Commonwealth Games whatsoever. But a lot of people use that year as uh, sort of a down year or an off year or they tried a new event or something. So um, 2020 we're on, 2021 rounds out and kind of caps um, a, a block of major global championships. And 2021 is hosted in Eugene, Oregon. So uh, world championships being in my former uh hometown of eugene oregon where i lived and trained for four years like well i want to be there um championships in north america do not happen very often so it's uh going to be really special to have family and friends be able to um come see me race hopefully i'm there yeah and i mean when you already have a gold from the commonwealth games it's like you know you got your gold you're good yeah <laughs> all right yeah. so how much better can it get yeah so you've mentioned a couple times of course jamaica that you're a dual citizen and we know that you race for jamaica talk about your decision to race for jamaica and why that is so important to you yeah a really tough decision um so in 20 when i was 23 i um i was 23 or 24 I think I was 23. I met my um, my birth father in Berlin, Germany, where he lives, and it was a life changing experience for me. Um, it has made me feel more myself than I've ever felt in my life, and um, I don't know if any listeners have ever, you know, if you're adopted and you've met your birth parents or have been in a similar situation to me of growing up in my nuclear family of my biological mom and uh, my dad who raised me, having a, a meeting of your biological parent can go so horribly. But mine, I was just so lucky to have gone so well. And um, it immediately answered a lot of questions about who I am and what I stand for and where I come from and it was such a, an experience that made me feel so whole and from then I started to make the decision of like all right what do I do and something that really brings me joy and I have genuine passion for is reaching out to others um, and pulling someone else along so I am so privileged to have a strong voice in Jamaica. Um, it's a small country and track is king and having a strong voice to encourage others and to try to forge a pathway for another generation of women to grow up and become a middle distance runner instead of a sprinter and provide a pathway um, into some really great and wonderful world of professional sports or even, um, you know, just running beyond high school is something that I've been just overjoyed to work on and to talk to, and to talk to women and 
encourage them and try to show them what their lives could uh, could turn into if they simply kept running beyond high school. So that's something that was probably the largest influence on my decision is where, um, what will I leave behind after my career is over? And I felt that my voice could be more impactful running for Jamaica. And so far it's been so enriching to my life to create relationships and establish trust with some coaches in Jamaica and um, meeting young women. Last year I went uh, down and had a two-day clinic with Heidel High School and uh, some, you know, one of their girls is now running at Texas A&M and, and checking with her on Instagram and uh, these direct impacts that I can make felt um, I felt really compelled to, to make them and running for Jamaica is, it's just like a more, I'm just like directly injected into the fabric of sporting culture. And that means it's, it's, it means so much. Um, and to bring pride to people on a greater level and, to be a strong role model is something that I strive for. And um, I just wholeheartedly am so glad that, um, that I made that decision and that people helped me make it and helped guide me and support me, you know, from the back end. And yeah, I, I would make the decision a thousand times over. I love that story. And I, I, I just love how that has worked out, not just for you, but for all of the women and the girls that you now get to interact with and help shape their lives. And it's cool to think that these girls who might grow up to be the next great sprinters, distance runners, track athletes, whatever it is, that they'll look back and say, you know, Aisha came here and told me I could do this. And I don't know, that just gives me goosebumps. Oh. That would just, yeah, gives me goosebumps too. I just like, I so hope that, you know, I, I definitely want to break all of the Jamaican and the Boston's records. And then I hope they get broken shortly after. Um, because I just, I want to see my performances mean something down the line. Like that, that would be like the greatest gift ever. So it's pretty special. I love it. All right. I have a couple quick questions that I want to ask you before we do our sprint to the finish. Um, the first is I had to laugh because I feel like professional runners don't talk a lot about the actual drug testing process. And you tweeted the other day that it was 6am and you were ready to be best friends with the person from USADA who came to do the drug testing for you. Yes. Uh, okay. So I forget. So I will remind you that all the people that I <laughs> train with and see on a daily basis are just like these superlative athletes and everybody gets drug tested. And this is like a normal thing. And then I have a lot of friends that aren't runners and I have to explain to them that often at 6am somebody buzzes into my apartment and it's often so a DCO, the doping control officer is often the same person and she's been to my house enough 
and she's, you know, watched my dog grow up. And like when I pick up the phone after she buzzes in, it's like, oh, hey, hey, Rainy, come on in. Like I know her voice and she comes in and, you know, we get to talking, but it drives my husband crazy <laughs> because he's trying to continue sleeping and we're just like, you know like just talking so loudly in the living room and like the first couple times i'm like okay you know maybe trying to be quiet and then i'm just like i've i've totally i'm there like we're we're talking about her kids we're whatever um but this person just gets it's a fast track to getting to know you because as i explained to my non-professional uh, athlete friends is that she comes in you show her your id you do some paperwork and then you go to the bathroom and you pull your pants all the way to the floor. You pull your shirt up under your chin and you um, have a little tinkle and she watches it all happen. Oh, wow. I didn't know and, that. Yeah. So they just make sure that no foul play is happening. This is the world of sports that we're in that somebody has to watch you. But yeah, just bird's eye view, checking <laughs> it out, making sure no- nothing is amiss. And uh yeah. And then you just seal up the cup and you pour it into bottles and, you you know, whatever. It's like a whole thing um, that you can learn all about if you go onto WADA and learn about the doping control process and all the rules and whatever. But and then, you know, often she'll take your blood and, you know, it's like a it's so commonplace and normal to us. We do this. Um, we update our whereabouts and we're wherever we are at all times and this is very normal to us it's like expected that you're going to be drug tested and if you run a race and run a national record you go through this and if you um, run a race you can be just uh, randomly pulled and it's just a very very normal thing for us but I realize not normal for everyone well and it makes for better sport so we're all for it I'm totally all for it like it's some people get frustrated, um, but it's just, I want to live in a time where we have clean sports. So come test me anytime and we'll just talk about what your kids are up to. It's great. All right. The other thing that I want to ask about is that you tweeted a great thread recently about the importance of working with a registered dietitian. I'm curious where that passionate stance came from. It came from having a registered dietitian on our team. And everything going on, um, I was really struck by Mary Kane coming forward and sharing her story. Um, you know, women's bodies are like uh, so highly politicized, and uh, we are also in a sport that, you know, things matter. All of our training matters, our sleep matters how we fuel ourselves matters. And uh, I learned from Maddie Alm, who is in our training group and just uh, finished dietetic school and is took the test and is now registered dietitian. This blew my mind. You don't have to go to school to be a nutritionist to be called a nutritionist. There are good nutritionists in the world. That is very true. And there are very qualified nutritionists. But you can also go online and obtain a certificate, not very difficult, with not much difficulty to be called a nutritionist, to be a certified nutritionist. 
it's different than a licensure. Maddie had to have hundreds of hours of practice. She had has a degree and she had to sit for an exam to certify that she knows what she's talking about. And in a world where information is super accessible, there's so much misinformation. And it like Mary's story pained me for a lot of reasons. She's a girl uh, not even a full, full blown developed woman. And, uh, she's just in a horrible position. And not only, uh, was a number just plucked from the sky given to her, uh, to weigh, but it sounds like rules were broken or were suggested at being broken for her to get to this unicorn number. And it's just not science. And, it's not the way that I want to like, pr- like purport to behave and uh, women should know that there are resources, people who, who have spent hundreds of hours of their lives dedicating to learning about the body and what should go on and how you should feel yourself. And it's, it's on an individual basis and, I could, I was just blown away when she told me that there's a huge difference between nutritionist and dietitian. And I think that all women competing at this, all athletes, women and men should uh, consider seeing a registered dietitian. Like I just, it just makes so much sense. You know, we have, we pay a coach. We, you know, care so much about our sleep. We care about post uh, workout nutrition. We've all got, you know, a $500 watch on our wrist or if you're, you know, someone who does that, um, or, you know, we're, we've got expensive recovery tools to do, you know, uh, vibrating massage and Norma tech and all this stuff. And we can also use a resource that can, uh, tell you based on fact, like how your body's doing and how it's coping to stress. And, you know, it, during this time of the year, you know, maybe, maybe we're providing a ton of extra of these nutrients. And maybe when you're, we've come closer to racing, your nutrition looks a little different. Like it's to me, a total no brainer. Um, so yeah, I hope that if you're thinking about, um, nutrition and it's, it's so confusing, like to me, it's confusing. I don't like, I'd never had a body composition test in my whole life. And, uh, it's super helpful to just know about your own body. So I hope if you're thinking about it, that you do it because facts are way better than numbers plucked from a sky and standing on the scale and wishing the number was different. It just doesn't have to be that way. I bow down to that whole speech. Yes. Oh, yes. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The last thing I need before we sprint is that we know you're married to the wonderful Will Lear. Tell me the love story. How you met, oh my how you fell in love. Oh, I like sometimes forget that he's one of the greatest American milers of all time. It's pretty <laughs> cool. Um, but we met in the summer of 2012 in Leuven, Belgium. And if you know me, you know it's the name of our dog. Um, we, I like totally stood him up on our first official date because I was so aloof um, to the fact that he asked me on a date. Uh, but it was so cute like he had come off a plane 
uh, we had the same agent at the time and everybody was in the same apartment complex. We were kind of all watching. I remember the movie. We were watching Zombieland in, I think it was, uh, oh God, Matt Shearer's. He was a like infamous 800 meter pacer in his apartment. We were watching Zombieland and this man walks in and it was like he was backlit to me. Like he was just like so handsome, whatever. Reminding you, I didn't know who anybody was. I didn't know anything about professional running, so I can claim that it wasn't speed goggles. And uh, he had a very similar experience uh, for me. And he uh, asked me on a date. I stood him out on this date that I didn't know was a date. And then we had a makeup date where he cooked me. Uh, he rearranged like this furniture in his like corporate apartment that we all had um, and cooked me a dinner and like bought a candle it was just so sweet and we just like totally hit it off from there um and now we're married you know it was just so cute it was the best what was the status of his hair when you met was it long and flowing oh my God. no he had the most ridiculous mustache ever it was like the whole I don't know if it's a foo not a foo manchu but like you know like a handlebar mustache that was so thick and he had like kind of like it was 2012, so there was like a little Bieber esque hair situation. Like oh, it, wow. it was. Do you remember the term shaggy hair? Yes, That's I can what picture he was it. Wow, oh, yeah, loving yeah. this. So 2012 dreamboat over here, <laughs> and yeah, so it was. It's pretty great. I can't imagine life without him. I love that. How often do you run together now? We run together a lot more now. Um, he has been. Uh, he's really dedicated to my racing this year. Like he's still going to be doing his own racing and um, you know, whatever he decides to do, but he uh, just loves me so much. It's the best. He um, has realized that I am 30 going into an Olympic year and this could be such a great opportunity for me to have success that he has decided to slow down some days and join me on uh, in running. So um, he's been great. But we would just, our, I think some of our worst arguments ever have come from going on a run together because I want to run, you know, 7.05 pace and he wants to run 6.45 pace. And to me, that's a huge difference. And he doesn't feel it. And I just get so irrationally angry. And <laughs> so, but now we're working it out. We're, we're doing a lot better. I love it. All right. With that, with that beautiful love story. And, yeah. you know, I just, I love the stories of the fights on the run. And because every pro runner has them. Every pro runner who is dating or married to a fellow athlete in, you know, at any stage in their career, it's always the same. It's always like so-and-so ran faster and now we're fighting or like, yes. oh, he took yes. off. And so I turned back and ran back home and did my own run. Yes. Like, I love it. Oh, you know, it's amazing. When we first, our first year, when it was just Joe, Emma, Will and I, we would occasionally, Joe was still running a lot of the time and Will would, Joe and Will would pace us. And it would get so contentious that we had to trade. Like Joe could only run with me and Will could only run with oh Emma gosh. because we would just get so pissed off at our spouses that it was hilarious. So, you know, it's a thing. It's definitely a thing. 
I love it. All right. Can I ask 2020, you mentioned the Olympic year. Do we know yet your, your, um, I know I'm cheesy for saying this, but your 2020 vision, your goals and hopes and dreams for 2020? Yeah, my really big scary goal is I want to make the Olympic final in 1500. Um, and I have got some work to do. So that is, is my whole goal. Well, there are other goals along the way. I'd really like to break 15 in the 5k. Um, and that will be tough, but I know I've got a team of stellar women that I, uh, that will inevitably, we can help each other in that goal. Um, but then, uh, yeah, Tokyo 2020, 1500 meter final. We'll see. Yay. So exciting. All right. Good vibes sent your way. Very exciting. Are you ready to sprint to the finish? Ready. What would your last meal on earth be? Eggs, avocado toast, rice and soy sauce, and a really crunchy salad uh, with like some salt and pepper. I know that sounds strange, but it's what I want. It's a very healthy way to go out. I respect it. (laughs) Favorite movie? Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Favorite TV show? Schitt's Creek. Oh, thank you for saying that. You know that it comes back so soon. Oh my gosh, it's so good. The last season. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. It's the best. I'm wearing a sweatshirt right now. You'll appreciate this. My sweatshirt says, Ew, David. <laughs> I went Amazing. <laughs> if you if you go on Etsy and you just type in Shits Creek, you can get so much. I bought all my girlfriends tank tops that say Jazzigals for Christmas. Oh my gosh, amazing. So, yes, that's if you ever want to go down that rabbit hole, there's yes, so much definitely money to be do. spent. All right. Do you have a go to mantra for races or tough workouts? It's not safe to share oh i love that yeah yeah it's very spicy with a lot of uh profanity so i will not share oh i like it (laughs) maybe maybe text it to me later because i want to know yeah (laughs) okay well what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning oh oh first thing i do when i wake up in the morning um i pet my dog does the dog sleep in the bed with you guys no oh no i can't no he's got his own whole situation it's actually um, I got handed down Lauren Fleshman's grandmother's couch, got handed down to me on like a fourth round hand-me-down in Eugene. And we put, Lubin has a very beautiful dog bed that sits on this antique couch and that's where he sleeps, but it's in our room. So Lauren, if you're hearing this, thanks for the couch. I love that you somehow have Lauren Fleshman's grandmother's couch. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> what is the last thing you do before you close your eyes at night? I read every night. You do. What are you reading right now? I'm reading The Overstory. Are you loving it? It's good. I'm loving it. It's so good. Yeah. Awesome. One of the best books I've read all year. Oh, good. Good. It's good to get a recommendation in here. Add it to my Mm -hmm. Amazon cart later. There you go. What is your favorite running workout? Ooh, you know, I really love a tough, tough long run. Um, Point to point. Boulder Runners, Big Tex is my favorite, but I love like a hilly, super tough long run. What is a long run for like, you know, this year when you're training? Yeah. Like 15, 15 miles. Okay. Yeah. It's not crazy. I mean, it's crazy to some people. It's crazy to a lot of us, you know. All right. I like it. (laughs) Where's your happy place? In my bed. (laughs) (laughs) Who was your childhood celebrity crush? Oh, my gosh. Probably Brian from the Backstreet Boys. Nice. 
where did you have your first real kiss? Okay, I I don't know the answer to that. <gasps> I know. Was it it's memorable, I guess? It was not memorable. So I'm sorry if you were my first kiss. I was going to say, wouldn't it. it be sad if whoever it was with was listening to this and remembers exactly yeah. where it was? Burn. Bummer. Yeah, bummer, bummer dude. <laughs> <laughs> if you could go for a run with anyone, who would it be? Michelle Obama. Nice. Most popular answer on this show. Never no gets way. Old for me. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. That's my, amazing. Okay. My dad, who my dad's listening to this, I'm sure, because he listens to every episode. Every time I see him, he's like, you got more people who want to run with Michelle Obama every week. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, That's dude, so she's cool. awesome. We need to just <laughs> yeah. get her to lead like a big group run for all oh, of us. I would die. Which she would do. She's so fit and cool. So Yeah. Okay. Solo run or run with friends? Mm, I think there's a time and place for both, but I'd say run with friends. What one word do you want to be remembered by? Mm. Competitive. <laughs> Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably competitive. Yeah. But right when we started this conversation, you said kind, which I also think is a really good one that you Thank said, you. you know, that you're a kind person, which I love. Yes. All right. Yes. Tell me three things that you love about yourself. Hmm. Uh, I'm very smiley. I am down for anything. Love trying new things. And I'm a good cook. And I like eating my own food. So good job, Aisha. <laughs> good job, Aisha. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The last thing I need from you, give everyone listening a reason to run today. Oh, you're just going to feel so much better when you're done. Perfect. I love that. Go for a run. I have loved having this conversation with you. I'm super excited about your career, about 2020, about all good things coming your way. And I just so appreciate you spending this evening with us. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a joy. Thank you so very much for tuning in to this episode of the Alley on the Run show, the first of 2020. As we kick off a fresh year, a fresh decade, I want to thank you for being here, for listening, and for supporting this show. 2019 was an amazing year for the Alley on the Run show, and none of it would have been possible without you, without this amazing community of listeners. And I just want you to know that I am really, truly grateful for every single one of you. Now, you're already supporting the show by listening to it. Another great way to help the Alley on the Run show continue to grow and evolve is to share it with someone. Tell a friend, a loved one, a member of your running group, tell them about the show, post about it on social media, spread the word. And if you want to do a good deed, I'd love to hear from you in the form of a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Just take a second over there and let me know what you love. Remember, I am always here for you. I'm Allie on the Run One on Instagram and Twitter, and you can like and follow the Allie on the Run Facebook page. Following along on those platforms is the best way to stay informed about upcoming events like live shows. Plus, I have big plans for events this year, so make sure you stay in the know because I would love to meet you this year. Finally, let's give it up for our wonderful sponsor, Aftershocks, for making this episode possible and for making the very best wireless headphones for runners. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com for $50 off your pair. Happy New Year, and thanks for joining me on the run.